Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, everybody, welcome back to the brand new, right? I can say that. True Wealth Radio Show is the greatest Tuesday you have had all year. And the best show you're, you've had <laughs> all year. This is the year. best show we've had Ten all year. It's in. amazing. Oh, and uh, welcome also in studio today, of course, WizKid. Matt Dixon. And my everybody's favorite attorney that joins us. Derek Simmons. And we are stoked to have you guys in studio today. Uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm ready to have 2022 in the rearview mirror. All of them, 20, 21, and 22, all of them. For, for all different reasons, right? 21 was a pretty good investment year, and then 22 was like, psych! <laughs> it was so obnoxious. <laughs> Basically, it took away almost everything from 2021. Like, oh, up we go. Yeah, all right, back down. All right, glad we played that game. And it's gone. <laughs> if you've seen South Park, and it's gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> um you know, and probably not really true, but certainly if you're a large cap growth investor, uh, that had been just the leader of the pack for quite mm -hmm. some time and no longer the leader of the pack unless you're talking about the race to the bottom. Are you excited for 2023? I am, believe it or not. Yeah. I was joking before the show. I'm looking at uh, on Yahoo Finance. They have a poll up that says Americans largely pessimistic about 2023 Gallup poll shows. And I just sort of click my heels together and go hee hee uh, because as a general rule the american public gets it wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> it just they just get it wrong like really for the whole year you're pessimistic uh, let's not forget that the stock market is largely a leading indicator and those people that are out there comparing this to say a 2000 to 2002 crash or the 2008 crash i would suggest that these do not look the same right the 2000 crash was built around some structural issues. The dot-com bubble was one of them, where we had the internet proliferating from the ether, right? Did not exist before, and all of a sudden explodes onto the scene, and it was the new economy where companies didn't make money, and they were still valuable until they needed to make money again to be valuable. Yeah, it turns out that's not a long-term strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it turns out that was mm, false. And so we also had something else that hid that, right? We had the Y2K scare. Many of you guys are listening. Well, Matthew's over here going, what? My like, God, when I was a boy, right? we had only two digits in the year column. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the funny thing is that this is a legitimate throwback to when computer memory was so spartan that uh, they did anything they could to make sure that code was very, very efficient to include limiting the date to two digits instead of the entire year. Hmm. And everybody was concerned that when 2000 showed up, it wouldn't be 1999 anymore. It would be 1900. And like the whole power grid was going to shut down. We were all going to be if pandemonium and it was going to be like Lord of the Flies. And New Year's came and went and it was a big nothing burger. But people spent fortunes upgrading their computers in 1998 and nine to be Y2K compliant. And we then had like a three to four year cycle where nobody had to go and upgrade their computers, which was an economic black hole after the dot-com implosion that what, we, what companies have to make money and they're not, Never mind. 
oh, and we need you to spend in the economy. We already bought all our tech for the next four years. Mm. That was a tough pill to swallow, right? So there was some structural elements at play there. And then we all remember 2008 when we had uh, what happened to like half the banks in the country. Yeah, that's still too fresh, Dave. That still hurts. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bunch of banks that no longer exist. So we now, you know, with air quotes, we wink at each other and go, yeah, that was a consolidation event. <laughs> ha, right. No, that was banks going under. That was a horrible summer. I, I remember the, the summer of 2008, I would go to work and I'd spend a lot of time putting together businesses. And in that particular time, no businesses were being put together. Right. And so I'd go to work and I'd have like two hours of work to do. And then I'd go home and build a fort for my kids, which was a cool fort, but it was not a good year for business startups. No, it was not. I remember it was a painful year indeed. Uh, so what's different now compared to then? My kids are way taller. They would not fit in the fort at all. Yeah. Bigger fort is the answer Much to bigger that one. Fort. So I think we call those houses now. They're more expensive. You could also point to the fact that there's a lot more money in circulation. Yeah. I mean, I mean this was sort of self-imposed this time. Mm -hmm. um, the economy didn't necessarily have to crater, but we did this to ourselves. And people can say, well, COVID. We still, the reaction was, you know, one that it was self-imposed, right? So it's not like a computer. Did you try shutting the economy off and back on again? doesn't work that well it's not like a reboot here what we discovered is well you if you shut you know shut it down fictionally and then print money to pretend like you didn't shut it down and then you turn it back on things break so we created this mess but the good news is i mean it was largely generated by the federal reserve right i'm not saying they did a bad job you know congress was in on it too and there was a, a bunch of like spending and conjuring of money mm-hmm Okay, it leads to inflation. And the Federal Reserve says, well, what are we going to do? And since we're not going to see policy changes from Washington, D.C., and we can all point fingers and throw rocks and whatever, but it's unproductive. So the Fed said, well, I guess we better put this on our shoulders. And, and the rate hikes began. And ever since then, we've seen the markets respond with, wait a minute, you're taking away the punch bowl. Where's all the cheap money? And we've seen that in the housing market. Go talk to realtors. Any realtor that's like, oh, real estate's good. I I'm going to say, like, are they a good realtor? Because <laughs> I think they're lying. Like, the, the good realtors are like, it's crickets right now. It's not fun. Because they're being honest, right? Now, I say, if you're, if you don't, don't, you don't have to fib about the markets just because, you know, you don't want people to feel bad about and it. And that's, you know, that's a factor uh, that results from about three different things. One is money got more expensive to borrow. Heck yeah. So the borrowers can't borrow as much. Two is we were short on inventory to anyway. Yep. And the third one is the sellers have not yet gotten used to the idea that they need to reduce their prices. Absolutely. So uh, with those three things, realtors are having a tough time. Yeah. It basically, we had a radical alteration of the demand side of the equation because of a change in the supply side of financing. So that's yeah. a huge impact on real estate. So all of this to suggest, though, you know, I'm, we're, you know, we're laying all these reasons out why the economy looks pretty ugly. But here's the question I would ask. So, Derek, Matt, does the market not see these things? 
Not a trick question. (laughs) Traditionally, the market does see these things, and it's already accounted for them. Right. So that's the idea that it's already pricing these things in. I stole Matt's good answer there. That was a good answer, though, Derek. It it can't price in what it doesn't know, right? Now, it can guess. It can anticipate. uh, but but, So it doesn't know what it doesn't know yet, but it it knows a lot of stuff because everybody told us, right? I mean, the Federal Reserve's not been shy about publishing their numbers and what they think is going to happen. You know, we're just waiting for some of the data to actually show up to make more decisions. But if the market is accurate and that it's already pricing in the known issues, then we either have to have a lot more unknown negative show up. Right. We could have an additional rate hike or two. Well, you know, at least one rate hike is already priced in. Right. Thing. Like, I mean, everybody's kind of saying that's probably going to happen. And the statistics suggest that the second rate hike is also pretty probable. somewhat noted in the numbers mm-hmm. already. Right. The, right. You know, the the futures in the, the, the rate market, if you will, Fed fund futures are already sort of setting the probabilities. And they're like, yeah, we kind of think this is coming down the pike. Right. But the wrench could be what if we have four rate hikes instead of two because sure. inflation numbers. Well, high. and that would be unorthodox mm-hmm. right i mean without what i said that'd be unexpected right right and so if that were the case the markets could certainly have more headwinds but the flip side of that would be why would there be more rate hikes it would have to be because inflation numbers came in higher than expected right and why would they come in higher than expected because the economy's doing better than better than yeah. we thought right yeah. so it's like well which one is it here mm-hmm. is the economy really that strong that we should the markets should tank right uh, or is it that the economy's strong enough that once the fed gets inflation to stop that we can start seeing interest rates decline and the markets can dig in and find some traction again so just how much negative is already priced in Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's a question everybody can ask themselves. Uh, and, and then we could play the, this is the fun game. Like, when does it matter? Only when you're at your event horizon, it's time to sell. When yes. You're yeah. Oh, he nailed it. Yep. <laughs> like, let me tee this one up. Somebody whack it. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, it matters when it's time for you to have to change your investment strategy or if you need the money. Mm-hmm. Right. And continue to believe that this is, uh, while we talk on this show often about, how you position to take advantage of moves in the market. We don't go out advocating that you start trying to day trade and get really cute with this thing. Position sizing is a form of trading, I suppose. You know, hey, normally we own 10% in this position and we're gonna shave it down to eight. You're still an investor. You just have a little dry powder thinking maybe the markets are gonna go lower and then you'll be able to buy back in and average your cost down and improve your position as an investor okay if that's your thesis and you want to you know lean one direction or another i'm not going to say that's a bad idea i'm just going to suggest that you you know you're trading a little bit right it's when you say like i'm all in and i'm all out and i'm betting the farm on tesla and then i go (laughs) 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 that's one of the things that bothers me i i think in the market you expect that generally it reflects everybody's information all amalgamated into one spot. But then what you have is you have computer generated trading where a little bit of information will produce a much wider swing mm-hmm. than one might expect. That drives me bananas. Yeah. Well, it's it's the reason that all right, this is so this is so good that I'm going to all right, let's do this. Let's grab a break and when we come back, we're going to talk about 
the efficient market hypothesis, what the heck that means and why it's relevant to you. But we got to take a break. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where I have got in studio on this, the best show all year. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. And... If you're just getting caught up, you know we do this thing that we do. The whole show gets recorded. You can grab it as a podcast tomorrow. Uh, it'll get published at our webpage at littlejohnfs.com. It will also land in all of your favorite spots. So if you want to follow us in your your favorite uh, podcast environment, whether it be iTunes or on Google and the Play Store, wherever you want to go, right? You can go grab it there. But you can go straight to our website if you if you don't know what a podcast is, you could just go to our website and you can actually li- listen to the show in, on our webpage too. So like you can, you can go get caught up because. You're going to be curious, right? How did we get to this where I said, hey, let's talk about the efficient market hypothesis. And and everybody went, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I could totally make one up, but I'm curious about what you're talking about. <laughs> well, let's start first with you actually shared what it was. Isn't the hypothesis the third sign, third side of an equilateral triangle? Is that not right? Hypothesis. That's hypotenuse. I'm sorry. <laughs> hypotenuse. And I think they're equilateral are all... Right. Is, are they all a hypotenuse I at the same time? Maybe it's a right triangle. Correct. There we but go. What are we doing now? Now we're all right. Thank you, Pythagoras. We appreciate it. Uh, so, <laughs> who makes math jokes? Uh, I used efficient... to have to do this for a living. Okay, don't. Yeah, he's don't bring me over back here to having flashbacks. You, you used and... to make math jokes for a living. Yeah, I was Sweet. a math teacher, and Ooh. oh yeah, you feel my pain. <laughs> I saw it in your face right there, Derek. You're Let's like, discuss Ouch. differential equations and make it interesting. Oh. Well, you don't go into teaching for money. You go into teaching because you love it. Yes. And, and then sometimes it starves you out and you have to get another job. Yeah, you go into it for the vacation time and you realize <laughs> it's not good enough. And you're like, wait a minute, this didn't align with hunting season. Yeah, so yes, right. <laughs> efficient market hypothesis. So you you first let me explain that there are different opinions on this right there's the strong version the weak version and the we throw our hands up in the air and punt version okay all of them operate under this concept that you snuck in at the last segment Derek and that is that the market knows all the information yes when you put everybody together that's the idea is that the market actually knows everything there is to know and it's already priced in at this very moment like at any given time the market has all of the information priced in. At least we should put this asterisk by it because now we go from the strong theory to the weak theory, which is all of the information that's publicly available. Because if you have inside information, you could cheat. Because the market doesn't know, so you have an information advantage that's not available to everybody else. And there may be some of that, but it's illegal, so we kind of hope not. Yeah, in theory it is. And yet, somehow, politicians become multimillionaires on $200,000 a year salaries. Uh, So we also have the what I call the the throw-your-hands-in-the-air-and-punt version of this. You probably punt and then throw your hands in the air if you want the punt to be successful. But think about environments where the markets are presently legally manipulated. And then you realize that I have no idea whether or not this thing is really efficient or not. Okay, 
We have hinted at this on the show, and I don't want to go into a great depth here, but there are things like what we call dark pools. Okay, Matt, have you ever heard of this before? Yeah, I think it's doesn't it revolve around some hedge funds? It's and, yeah, hedge funds or off market trading. Dark mm -hmm. pools are exchanges that are not visible to the marketplace, so you don't know what transactions are occurring so behind the scenes. Hundred million shares of Apple could be traded in a dark in a know, dark pool, pool and nobody and would no see it. No one would see it. Yeah, high frequency trading could occur where maybe there's a hundred million shares of Apple being sold a thousand shares at a time. And you have right. to talk like this. <laughs> That's not high frequency. <laughs> Sorry. Trade it. Sell it. <laughs> Buy it. <laughs> And I'm but supposed do to that take, in your voice. You're an attorney. I'm supposed to take you seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, in the high frequency trading. Uh, now all I can think of is like, Mickey, I, like, like Wizard of Oz or something. I was thinking of Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. Right, right. The scenes, it's like, like cartoon <laughs> characters and stuff. Where you're like, okay. Um, so, in high frequency trading, the idea is that a computer can look at all of the different orders being placed in real time, and it will manipulate the order flow in order to make the price of a stock move one way or the other, so that it can exploit tiny moves in the marketplace for profit. Okay, It will sometimes do what's known as front running, which means it sees the price of what you want to buy or sell for, and it can place the trade ahead of yours. That is supposed to be illegal. That does sound sleazy. Right? And yet it occurs in these environments, and because of the nature of it, it has largely gone unaddressed. So that's why I say the efficient market hypothesis is a little hard for me to gauge these days because there are, we've seen documented environments of manipulation of information or trading. And so I don't know. what What I do know is that given a long enough time horizon, it plays out that way, right? The, mar the market ultimately figures out the price as the information is distributed. And so I would look at it and say, well, on average, the market does get it right. The question is, in the very, very short term, are there ways to exploit it? And the answer is, maybe? There, right? like maybe? there are ways that it can be exploited. Which but is can not the you same. actually? Not yeah. that you and I can get in on it. That's the <laughs> trick, though. Is like, can you do it at volume and scale and consistently enough to make it advantageous? By the way, you know, there's a word for this. It's called trading, <laughs> and sometimes it's got other words too, scalping or whatever else. But that's not the same as investing, mm -hmm. right? Micro transactions a million times over. That's not investing. That's something different. If it's profitable all the time, that's great, but I still don't think it's investing. I think it's just manipulating market circumstance in order to profit. Or trying to time it and yeah. getting lucky sometimes and not getting lucky other times. Yeah. Well, and then you find certain environments where people are always lucky. And then you go, yeah, that's a natural market. Hmm. Right? That's sarcasm font, by the way. Uh, so... The, the the point of all of this, again, is to suggest that um, all of this, where did this all come from, by the way? Again, again, if you haven't been listening the whole time, just that uh, this poll that suggests Americans are all pessimistic about the markets. And yet, in theory, the market should have everything already priced in, which means that pessimism should also be priced into this market right now. And so my question is, well, does the do things get worse from here or better? 
And largely, Americans suggest it's supposed to get worse. But if the market already knows that, shouldn't that already be priced in? Bomb, bomb, bomb. <laughs> well, cute. Where's the? We need the effects box too, right? <laughs> We're gonna like record that and then have it on playback. It's gonna be on a loop. I think we should have it specifically in Derek's voice too. <laughs> Just a Derek button. <laughs> you know what I was remembering was when we were talking about high frequency. I can remember my brother yelling, "I can't believe Derek gets away with this!" And then my mother said, "We're in church. Lower your voice." And he goes. I can't believe Derek gets away with this. <laughs> and then we could not stop laughing for the rest of the service. <laughs> Irrelevant to today's topic, but it's just something I thought about. I appreciate it. So, so, so you've just told me you've spent a lifetime since that day in church waiting to make a high-frequency joke? I have. I have. <laughs> Nailed it! <laughs> I've got a long list. I'm just waiting for the opportunity. Oh, my goodness. Don't give me the list. I'll just be teeing up way too much. Okay, so... Now that we've decided this, the question is, where's the market going from here? And the answer is still, I don't actually know. But I will tell you that I'm probably more optimistic than many. I do think that we're going to have headwinds for the next quarter or so because it's probably a self-fulfilling prophecy. right? If everybody says it's going to happen for a little while, it does because that's how lemmings work. But at some point, somebody goes, but I don't like being a lemming. And then they zag when everybody else is zigging. And before you know it, the whole group of lemmings changes directions. And so that opportunity is coming. If I knew when or where, then uh, I guess I should keep that evil secret to myself and all of our clients will profit, right? Yeah. You can't di you can't just dump that one out on the air. Then it's not a secret anymore. And everyone's <laughs> going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like uh, my spoof that everybody on the internet that says, hey, you know, come buy our system and we'll tell you why we're so wildly profitable in the markets. And I go, why would you sell the system if you're so wildly profitable? It's just going to water it down because now you got too many people doing it. Well, the way we do it is we sell our system. Yeah, it's that's if we're wildly profitable selling you the system, not running it. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so I don't know why that is so hard for people to catch on to. It's like the oldest scam in the book and it still happens. Oh, but I digress. Well, I think it was, uh, was it P.T. Barnum, a sucker born every minute? Probably. Uh, I could think of worse ones said by used car salesmen. So I know because I had a buddy that used to do it. Um, so look, here, I, I, uh, let's, let's try to shift gears here. It's the, it's the beginning of the year. I, I think uh, we've, we've talked about the markets. We think maybe the... I think maybe the world's got it wrong. Maybe it's not the end of the world. Maybe this thing actually turns around and goes up at some point. And so I still believe in the long-term concept of investing. But you know what? It's a new year. We got all of these opportunities in front of us. And uh, we also just finished last year. Something has been on my mind. I've dragged you in here, Derek, and I hope that we can play a little game here. Okay. okay? And the game is... Uh, built around planning a little bit. Now, you know that I've got personally, right here I am a financial planner. I have a CPA. I also have an attorney who happens to be in studio with us today. And we get to the end of the year and every year you kind of walk me through this whole process of like how are we going to sort of grade what we're doing and wrap things up. The annual in, meeting. The yeah. annual meeting. Yeah. I would love to spend a little time with our listeners unpacking what that is all about and why they may want to consider this in their own financial world. Sure. Well, let me tell you where it comes from. 
I'm listening. Where it comes from to start with is in corporations, there's a statute that says you have to have an annual meeting of shareholders and directors. Every What's year. the statue look like? The statue, it's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Like tall? Yes, and it has inscribed on it a statute. Oh, statute. Also known as a law. You're making, I'm in charge of bad jokes here, Dave. I didn't think Actually, you he has cornered the market on dad jokes. False. A, anyway, anyway, a statute says you're supposed to have an annual meeting every year. Okay. Well, if you've got a really small company, you've got one shareholder, two shareholders, they have annual meet. They have meetings constantly. <laughs> Why do we need to have this one that's special? Well, I the, bet you could tell me, but what if I make us take an evil profit break before you do? Yeah, but this is really important, so I'll wait until after. All right, out. music's playing. Stick around if you want to understand, like, hey, if you're thinking about starting a business or if you're running one, especially if you ha are trying to figure out if you should get an entity or not, this is going to be for you. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where we are having fun on the best show you've heard all year. The best Tuesday you've had all year. Frankly, just this year is really kicking butt so far. That's all I can say. At least since 4 o'clock, no doubt. Exactly. And and from here, it can only get longer. So <laughs> carry on, shall we? Uh, in studio today with me, of course, we've got... Matt Dixon. And we've brought... A good buddy of mine, Mr. Derek Simmons, who is about to reveal all of the secrets of the legal world or at least annual meetings with some customers. I was going to say that might be some sort of a representation thing. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the annual meeting. So what happens is the statute says that each corporation has to have a meeting and out of that. Um, my, my mentor actually, uh, used to have annual meetings. He'd actually, he was an attorney and he would go to his clients that had operating businesses and they would actually walk through a legal stick, the dipstick in and see where you are on various issues that are important to all operating businesses. And then we do some tax planning. You know, if there are ways that the business can pay for things that might benefit you, uh, personally, but are legitimate business expenses, you should know about those. Right. So having gone through these a couple of th uh, couple of times, what you see is that across industries, you get information. So I've just finished annual meeting season, probably 150 annual meetings. And you hear from employers the things, the, the questions that they have, and you find the answers, and then you're able to share them in later annual meetings. It's a really it's a really good system for making sure you're up to speed. Sure, sure. So I just went through this process. And if all of you are out there going, wait a second, I thought you were a financial planner. You still have to have somebody else with taxes and so forth. So not necessarily for that. I'm actually decent at the tax side of things. Although what happens is I think there's a benefit to a second set of eyes first of all, even if it's just to validate, but there are other things that we go over too, okay? So let me ask a, a fun question. I kind of know the answer, so I'm gonna tee this up a little bit for you, but you know more of the answer than I do, okay? First, do I have to do an annual meeting? No. Okay. Just a good idea. And why is it a good idea? Well, it's a good idea because you're usually you have your mind in the business. Every every business owner spends a lot of time in their business making 
the widgets or whatever it is that they do. And they don't take a step back and say, how does this fit into the regulatory scheme? How does this fit into opportunities that other businesses might have um, thought of, but just haven't been presented to you? So it's an opportunity to have it from, see things from a different perspective. Right. So selfishly, I do this every year because I either get to be reminded or occasionally learn entirely new things. Okay. Where you wouldn't necessarily be exposed to it. So it's fantastic knowledge sharing from my perspective to engage in, in an annual meeting. One okay. of the ones that's been interesting is uh, the Oregon legislature is constantly messing with employment laws. Right. I mean, a few years ago, they created the uh, Oregon, Sa um, Oregon Saves. No, that wasn't it. It's the Oregon Retirement Plan. Oh, the auto enrollment yes. into the Roth thing. Yes. and. And, yeah. and, you know, and employers eventually found out about it through email that looked a lot like spam. And right. so a lot of them deleted it. You know, they didn't realize what it was. And then they created the deal with uh, everybody must get sick leave. Right. And then I heard from umpteen million uh, clients. No, that doesn't apply to me because I have fewer than 10 employees, which is not quite right. It applies to everybody. You just don't have to pay them for sick leave, pay employees for sick leave, unless you've got more than 10. So, you know, it's it's going through and talking about what's new in the law. This year, we talked a lot about the Corporate Transparency Act, which I won't bore you about this year. We'll wait till next year yeah. when it's about to kick in. Yep. I mean, there's so these are and by the way, these are things that oftentimes function in a business environment, right? Financial planning we often associate with the personal side of the balance sheet. So, you know, how are you spending the money that you have left over? And I say left over because if you're self-employed, this is a different animal, right? So when I'm meeting with Derek, I'm talking about, well, as a self-employed person that has a business, I wear both the employer and the employee hats at the same time. But let's say you don't own a business, then you wear the employee hat, then the things that you're going to do are going to be largely what happens after the company's made its own decisions and it's paying you, right? And so you're the one that is getting or not getting the various benefits at a corporate level. And then you're going to have this money at, that you have discretionary use over that you can then choose to spend on your lifestyle and to invest and so forth, okay? But the business owner has these other decisions at play here. So I always love the annual meeting because, again, you, it's like a refresh in business consulting for me because you're, you're walking it. There's another one that I want to tiptoe around for a second, too, though. And it kind of has to do with the LLC side of things. Sure. Okay. Now, as I recall, there's not a ton of case law around how LLCs were to be treated if they were not properly maintained? As in, do they properly yeah. manage liability? And and, the, the, and it's sort of a, maybe? It's an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting question. You know, Oregon, uh, Oregon Revised Statutes, Chapter 63, riveting reading if you've got spare time. Sounds like it. Having trouble sleeping. But anyway, it, it talks about limited liability companies, and it says... Um, that a member, which is an owner of an LLC, shall not be held personally liable for failure to follow corporate formalities, which sounds really cool. It's like, I don't have to have an annual meeting. I don't have to have minutes. I don't have to have an operating agreement. I can totally commingle my assets. And at some point in there, you're wrong. 
at some point in there, you will be personally liable if you screw that up, but you can't really tell where, you know, how many corporate formalities is enough and how many are not required. <laughs> how many corporate formalities can dance on the head of a pin? There's that. <laughs> so, you know, my, my theory has always been, I don't want my clients to be the test case. So I'm going to go ahead and follow the corporate formalities. And there are some where you, you definitely don't want to mess with the commingling of assets and that sort of thing. Right. Some of the rest of it's debatable. But I do know if you ever get sued, and here's hoping you don't, but if you ever do, the first request for production is prove to me that you're an actually an LLC and not just an individual, and I can't attack your assets, your personal assets. And that's where it's helpful to have things like operating agreements and minutes of meetings and things that an entity would have that an individual wouldn't bother with. Right. And to, to me, this is, I suppose, it's fairly simple only because I don't view it as very expensive liability coverage. Yeah. As as insurance goes, if, if you were to say to me, you know, for 500 bucks a year, you can insure everything you own against things going wrong in your business, that would you know be a, quite a deal. I mean, it doesn't replace insurance because insurance actually protects the business, but the limited liability structure protects everything else from the business. Right. And so the, this to me has always been the, well, why wouldn't you do it, right? And because here's sort of my take on this one, right? If you create a business that's not capable of generating $500 of revenue over the course of the year, it's probably not actually a business. It's not even a good nonprofit. Yeah, it's at that. probably a hobby with paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, I don't know that we need more hobbies with paperwork. Just have the hobby, right? And if you have a hobby that's that high a liability, I would suggest getting a different hobby. <laughs> just, <laughs> this is rocket science here. But, like, you know, you shouldn't have a hobby that you make no money and you expose yourself to tremendous liability. It's like, you know, I just really love taking people skydiving for free like <laughs> this is a terrible idea don't do it <laughs> and packing their shoots for them exactly what fun. like who what could go wrong so yeah there, there you go uh, what are some of the things that you like what's low-hanging fruit for our business owners out there when you go through an annual review what are some some of the things that you would say hey did you know yeah well we always make sure that um People are dealing with employment law as they change. I talked about that. I always want to make sure that I've got ownership straight because it happens fairly frequently that somebody will send me an email and say, oh, that person is not here anymore. Well, fine, but they're an owner. So what mm -hmm. did you do document wise that's going to keep you from having to send them a K-1 at the end of the year? Yeah, again, I, this is my phrase of the show. What could go wrong? Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, people people are accustomed to they've checked it off in their mind. And so they're done with that. Mm -hmm. But if you ever get into litigation, you get audited, you know, by the IRS, you want to have these ducks in a row. Those are obvious. The other one that I almost never touch on because people don't tend to change very often. But like, for example, you can name a company one thing and then have an assumed business name that's something else. And every once in a while, people will change their assumed business name and not register it with the state, which gets you into trouble if you ever get sued on a couple of levels. Okay. So that's that's obvious. And then I always ask the business owners about their wills. 
I was I was going to lead you here, but you've gone there on your own. So please go yeah. on. This I think is really important. And and it's not because the operation of the business is critically requires a will of an owner, but it's because the business itself cares what happens to its ownership interest, right? Yeah. Uh, so it needs it's part of the planning that needs to happen because we don't know when we're going to need it. Right. You can only it, it's always too early to make a will right up until it's too late. Yeah, fair way to describe it. So, okay, uh, what are so so when I think low hanging fruit, if you could think of what are a few fun things that you might get to share with a a business owner where he'd say, you know, hey, did you know you could do this? Well, you know, one of my favorites is a corporate strategic planning meeting. The cor good old corporate strategic planning meeting. Yeah. That's a lot of syllables. Well, so let's suppose that you own a business and you need to make some long-range plans, maybe five, ten years in the future. Sure. And But you can't do it from your desk because the phone keeps ringing. People keep sending you emails. People drop into the office. We love to see them. We do, but Matthew. it also makes... It all, <laughs> I was going to say, does this sound familiar to you, David? But it also makes it difficult to do long-range planning. you got to get away. And this is one of those things that the IRS has blessed. A corporate strategic planning meeting makes sense. Um, and so what you do is the owners of the business can go away somewhere. Continental United States, Canada, Mexico. As long as they're gone, only a reasonable amount of time for business purposes. And I will tell you before you ask, the reasonable amount of time is whatever your accountant says it is. Okay. But it's got to be mostly business. If the purpose of your trip is mostly not business or even half not business, it's not deductible. Right. But I have to say that uh, the idea of doing a strategic planning retreat, first, I probably would be best if I had relaxed a little bit. And so maybe the you know, a, a beverage at the swimming pool in a sunny location is the perfect place to unwind and really vision for the future. That would make sense. You know, if you're going to go on a vision quest, you need to be relaxed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you just got permission to take a vacation, David. <laughs> and how many entities do I have? <laughs> and then I referred him to his accountant. That's what I did. <laughs> exactly, <you> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, I mean, I think the point is it's like anything. Uh, I had a friend of mine that used to call this the piggy rule, right? And, and that is that... Uh, you probably also heard this other ways that you know pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. So the piggy rule is if you start to take too much of a good thing, you can ruin the good thing. If right? you have a question about whether it's not uh, proper, you shouldn't do it. That's that's that, that's a probably a, a good rule of thumb too. Is that like yeah, if if you if you know you're pushing the envelope then probably you're there. don't push the envelope. Just, right? you, you want to imagine yourself sitting in front of the IRS auditor, answering with a straight face and true conviction about why you needed to do this for business purposes, whatever it is. Yeah. And so that to me, by the way, is the, the, the real kicker on anything is I, that that's in fact is a simple guiding principle for business. So here's some business consulting that, you know, I'm always supposed to say we don't offer advice, but I feel like this is pretty safe. The, the advice is that, it's not if you know it's wrong you can't do it okay but if you're doing something and you get audited you just better have a darn good reason for why and, and be able, the ability to document and, and prove it okay and, and this happens in so many areas of business whether it's well I was driving my vehicle for business okay where did you go and how much mileage did you have 
Okay, those are things that they're going to ask you. And if you cannot produce that, they're going to go, how can I trust that you really did this? And they will probably disallow it. And if you try to you know, say, take that as a deduction, you may lose it. May, right? I'm not the auditor. Uh, maybe there's a perfectly defensible case in which they go, well, you know, that actually makes sense. But the, the, the key here is, is it reasonably defensible? I mean, you have to start with that. If it's never reasonably defensible to begin with, there's a good chance you're in the deep end of the pool and it's not a good idea. Yeah, the thing we're looking for is stuff that should be deducted because it is for the business and you just haven't realized it. Exactly. So that's why I call it low-hanging fruit, right? It's the stuff that you could say, well, if we did a better job, we could take advantage of this. And so what I would suggest here is that if you've got questions about what this can be, uh, follow up with us after the show and we can get everybody connected. So I know you've got, uh, is, is, what's your website right now, Derek? It is seriousbusiness.law. Yeah, seriousbusiness.law. If you can't remember that, you can remember the show. You can always find us at littlejohnfs.com. We know how to reach Derek. And I cannot formally say this is a recommendation uh, for lots of weird reasons, but I can say he's my buddy and he's my attorney and you guys will figure it out. Uh, so beyond that, and, and, you know, shop around if you have to, right? There, we've covered all of our bases. I still like you, Derek. Uh, we're running long. we got to grab our final break. When we come back, though, one of our favorite segments of the show, financial terms. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Home stretch here, and I'm not going to waste any time with promos or anything else. I want to get to the goods. You are tuning in just in time for financial terms. Yes, I think it's a French term. We right? need to have music with that. We do. Financial though, this is the well, this is the lightning round where we are presented with financial terms, or are they? It is up to us to define what they are. And so we'll determine whether or not these are real terms or false, but they're going to get definitions one way or the other. So I like it. I understand that we have a few in the running. Derek, you have the list. I do have the list. I do have the list. Our first one, blank rolling. Blank rolling. Yeah, I like oh. that. That's I, I see the Fed just blankly just printing money, right? Like they, they got the blanks and they're just churning it out. They're blank rolling it. I think that that is as good a definition as I can offer. This is this is money conjuring yeah. from thin air. Blank rolling. Yep. I love it. Excellent. All right. So my next one, the fish market hypothesis. The fish market hypothesis. Which is different than the efficient market hypothesis. That is true. The fish market <laughs> hypothesis. Uh, if you can't, yeah. I feel like it's when you disagree with it and it just stinks like fish, right? Well, that's that's what I was really thinking. If it doesn't about that. smell good, don't don't invest in it's, it. It's it's the, the yeah the basic idea that if it if it smells too good to be true, it probably isn't. Yeah. <laughs> or if it smells really bad, the market's going to go down. Could, that's could true. Yeah. Down? If 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 it's if it smells like the fish market, get out. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, what about the flea market hypothesis? Ooh, the flea market hypothesis. Uh, that is that. It's it's basically uh, you don't invest it. It's a, it's a in penny stocks you get what you pay. I for. was just going to say the same <laughs> so thing. It's the a bunch flea of market guys. hypothesis <laughs> is that um, penny stocks you're likely to lose your money. Okay, <laughs> that's good. I like it. Okay, another one. Punt point. The punt point. Oh, the punt point. 
I feel like that's when Jerome Powell is just standing up there and he gets an interviewer asking him a question and he's like, ooh, he goes, I really eh. don't. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to punt on that one. That's a punt point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would think the punt point is a non-answer from a political figure involved in finance. So yeah. that's that. I just think that is the term is, well, the punt point is when they said, well, I'm going to make it sound like a point, but it's really not a point at all. Mm-hmm. I just completely obfuscated it and dodged it. I we am, get way too many of those anymore. I am picturing Alan Greenspan, who could answer a question. Irrational exuberance. With yeah, it's stone complete cold. engagement and not say a thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, the, it's the art of answering a question without answering the question the is a punt effect. point. It was beautiful. Okay. <laughs> And the last one on my list on my list is hedge whacking. Hedge whacking. Like oh. weed whacking. <laughs> I feel like but that, different. I feel like that's when a hedge fund does really, really bad and then someone that lost a bunch of money is like whack the guy that runs this hedge fund. It's hedge whacking. <laughs> that's, that's like mafia stuff. Yeah. Hedge whacking, oh, the definition that I would have to go with would be when the a hedge fund loses so much money that they start discounting their fees to try to incentivize investors to stick around. Yeah. Okay. So 2022. There you go. So <laughs> hey, game. All right. Well, look, that is the music. We are out of time. Hard to believe it. Uh, look, Derek, how do people reach you if they want to? I am at 541-677-7185. And Matt, how do they reach us? 541 541- Three seven five zero eight nine eight. All right, you can also grab us at info at littlejohnfs.com. Check out the webpage, but we got to run for now. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn and Matt Dixon and Derek Simmons. You listen to True Wealth on this station. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.